Welcome to the Kelly and the Encouragers podcast with your host, Kelly Sisson, wife, mother, therapist, and hippie at heart who loves Earl Grey iced tea, deep conversations, and encouraging others. If you need a little encouragement today, you are in the right place. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to another episode of Kelly and the Encouragers podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to one of my dear friends, Jessica Rhodes. Jessica and I went to college together. We've known each other for, oh my gosh, I don't even want to say how long, a long time now. I absolutely adore her and her husband, Don. They are fantastic people, fantastic friends, and I am so thrilled to be able to have her on the show to talk about her foster care journey. Jessica keeps it real. She talks about the hard things, the good things, the blessings, you know, all of it. And I know that if there's anyone who's listening who has ever thought about doing foster care or what foster care might look like or how that might go, I know that Jessica and her ability to share her message is going to significantly impact your life. So I cannot wait to introduce you to my friend Jessica. Hi Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yes, absolutely. I am so thrilled. I was telling you before we started recording that we just get to hang out some and you get to share your story and I know that people are going to love it. But I honestly think it's probably been 2 years since we last saw each other. Is that right? Yeah, it's just almost exactly two years yeah I think it was when I came to that writing conference right and I stayed with you and Dawn and yeah that was so fun that was so fun to be able to see each other so um you are obviously a dear friend of mine but you are much more than that so I'm wondering can you introduce yourself to the listeners absolutely so I'm Jessica and we live in Iowa uh my husband and I and we have six kids uh (laughs) so we're a little busy um Don and I are foster parents, and so three of our kids are biological, and three are with us for right now. And then I'm a sign language interpreter at the local schools, and Don is a assistant supervisor um, at Sterilite Corporation. And we're busy. We have a lot going oh, on, even sure. though we're uh, quarantined. Um, I almost feel like maybe that's more. I mean, I don't know. Like I think we have a lot. Yes, my goodness. So when you say you have like six kids, what what are like initial reactions? Because obviously I know this, so that's not like shocking to me. But I feel like when you hear someone has that many kids, you're like, whoa, that's that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot to handle. Yes. So when people see us, um. We kind of give them a warning because we drive a 15 passenger van. So they know. <laughs> I forgot about that. I love it. <laughs> when you pull up in a 15 passenger van, like they anticipate lots of kids to get out. Um, but when I'm just talking to someone and I say I have six kids, it's a look. I can just tell what they're thinking. Um, lots of don't you know how to stop that? <laughs> sure. Going through and um you know there's that. all sorts that they're thinking uh how do you handle that mm-hmm. um I get that question a lot like how can you possibly have six kids and work and your husband's home part-time and yeah totally get that yeah that is a lot I you know right now um as you know I have one um one son and one on the way and even with just the thought of having two I'm like Hmm. 
That feels like that's going to be a lot. So I'll be honest. I am one of those people that's like, pro- I mean, I tell you this all the time, like props to you. That's fantastic. <laughs> so admirable. And I honestly think that um, you and Don are, if there's any two people in my life that I know, like you guys are built for something like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like I am not, but you guys are absolutely built for something <laughs> like that. So it's cool to see. Well, thank you. Yeah. Can you talk us through your your foster care journey and kind of what led to you and Don wanting to do foster care? For sure. Um, so we have three biological kids. Um, and I would say sometime after we had the first, maybe the second, um, we had decided that we wanted to adopt at some point in our future. Um, we didn't really know what that was going to look like. But it was a dream of ours. We really felt like that was something that God was calling us to. And so we both, we had that conversation. We knew right away that that was something we wanted. Um, It wasn't until after our third pregnancy that we realized adoption was going to come sooner than we had planned. Um, My third pregnancy was just awful. Um, And I spent a lot of time in and out of the hospital. And so at that time, we just knew I couldn't physically have any more kids. Um, It wasn't worth the risk. And so, or the toll it was taking on me emotionally and psychologically and physically. Um, So that was the end for us as far as our biological kids. And so when we decided to move, from Illinois to Iowa, uh, as soon as we moved, we started talking about adoption. Um, we finally had a house that was big enough to have more than three kids. And so we looked at kind of different options. We looked at, um, private adoption. We looked at international adoption. Um, and a lot of people would assume that our decision was made out of finances and, I mean, that plays a role into it, but that wasn't our, our reason. That wasn't what drew the line for us to switch to foster care, um, and adoption. But really I found some statistics that were really sickening to me. Um, there are statistics out there that almost two thirds of kids that are in some sort of prostitution, um, child sex slaves were at one time in foster care. And to me, that had to be something that we helped to stop. Um, And so that's kind of where that came from. It was more, these kids need a home and we can provide that and we can provide a safe environment. And so if we get to adopt, great. But if we don't, then we feel like we're showing them the love of God for a short amount of time or for a longer amount of time that they can take with them for their lifetime. Yeah. You know, when you think about those statistics, that is just so heartbreaking. Ugh. It just almost makes me yeah. nauseous to think of that, like as, as a parent to think about, you know, and as a social worker, obviously I see, you know, the other side of things as well. And, um, you know, see the outcomes of, 
of both sides of things of how foster care has really impacted people in a really positive way and how there have been some really hard, obviously, moments through it. And I'm sure through your experience, you've seen both sides of that. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that, because I think I could be wrong, Jess. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when people think about foster care, the thing that always holds people up is they typically... um, don't want to I'm just going to say it like people say it. I'm not sure it's a really kind way to say it but people say they don't want to get attached or they're not sure that they would be able to do that or um, you know they just don't really have a good understanding of some of the positives and some of the really hard challenges so I'm wondering can you speak to to that and what your experience has been so far absolutely so when people tell us that they would get attached Uh, My gut reaction and a lot of foster parents' gut reaction is they would make a perfect foster parent. Um, Kids in foster care need attachment. They need a bond with somebody um, and a safe relationship. Um, And so getting attached is a good thing. Not getting attached is a problem. Um, and DHS workers would tell you that other foster families would tell you that if you're not attached to a kid that's in your home, then they shouldn't be in your home. Um, so as far as that specifically goes, attachment is fabulous. Um, it's not easy. Uh, one of the first things that somebody told me was that I couldn't possibly love a foster kid the same as I love my own kids. Um, And I challenged that at the time um, for a few reasons, but primarily because it was the idea that because I didn't physically birth this child, that I couldn't love them like a child that I had birthed. And to me, that's a disgrace to adoption in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if you take foster care out of it, kids that are adopted are loved just as much and in some cases more than kids that are born to their you know say with their biological parents so um I did I challenged that situation um and that was when we first had our foster care license we had our very first placement we were head over heels um excited to have this little girl with us and we got attached really quick because her situation was a little bit different than our current placement, but we were told right away that she was going to be adoptable. Um, and so it was just a matter of her staying with us long enough that the state recognized her as an adoption, um, placement. So we talked about adopting her from just about day one. Um, and we fell and we fell hard for her. Um, there were a lot of past traumas that unfortunately looking back on it, I feel like the system failed her. Um, I feel like we failed her in a lot of ways um, that we couldn't give her the help that she needed at the time because we didn't have the resources at our disposal. And when you're working with, foster kids you have to go through their insurance you have to get approval from the judge before you can do any sort of therapies um and so it was a lot of hoops to jump through and nobody 
was coming through for her. Um, and we couldn't just go out and sign her up for something because we weren't her legal guardians. Um, so it was hard. And ultimately we had to let her move on to another, another house. Um, that was hard as parents, um, coming to terms with that. Um, it wasn't easy, but it was really hard to watch our kids go through it. Um, because they saw her as their little sister and it's been almost a year and they still talk about her almost every day. Um, so that initial couple of days, we didn't leave, we didn't leave our house out of choice. Um, unlike now where we can't, but (laughs) at that time, (laughs) um, we didn't leave our house. We spent a lot of time invested in our, our family and in healing, um, in open discussions about the why, um, ultimately it just became an unsafe situation for our kids. We were seeing behaviors out of our kids that weren't okay. Um, and we could talk about the what ifs and, um, the should have been's, but ultimately those things didn't happen. And so we had to go with what we were experiencing. And I mean, it was hard. There were lots of times where I would go to bed just sobbing because I wanted to pick up the phone and tell the caseworker that we made a mistake and to bring her back. Like, it's just, it's a raw emotional situation that you can't really prepare for. Um, you can sit down with whoever you're making that decision with. For me, it was my husband, but you know, you can sit down and talk about all the pros and the cons and the reasons, the logistical reasons why this isn't working, but not until you make that decision, do the emotional feelings come up like holy cow we weren't ready for this um but ultimately for us we knew that we could put it off six months we could put it off nine months we could put it off a year and in the end that wasn't going to change anything um and it would only hurt our family and that little girl more because she would be ours for so much longer and then she'd have to start over and so when we finally called it on on that placement um that was kind of the perspective we came from like it's not helping us anymore to have her here longer knowing that we can't keep her um she needs to go someplace where someone else has the resources and can work with her Oh, what a tough decision for you guys. My goodness. And I hope it's okay that I uh, say this, but um, you guys did not fail her. You did not fail her. Even if she was there a day or two, I know you guys. I know your hearts. And I guarantee that you did everything that you could in your power. And I know that you loved her. So without a doubt. Absolutely. I It really makes me think about how many families 
through their foster care journey probably go through similar situations where they so badly want to be able to provide that stability in that home for the kiddos that come into their home, but ultimately for whatever reason are not able to. And I think that's what's um, a lot of times hard even just as a parent is like balancing what we want and what's best for our kids. And even if, even if it's, um, you know, a child that's in our home one day, you know, whatever that looks like, like what is best for them, regardless of what we really desire or what our family desires and to have to make that choice and to know that either way there's suffering and there's hurt around that. I mean, that's, that's a lot to bear. Yeah. So can I ask, you know, I mean, knowing you and Don, I know that you guys have a very loving marriage and are very supportive of each other, but what have been some ways that you've been able to really be there for each other? Like if you were talking to a new foster, you know, foster family and you were talking to the mom and dad, um, what would you recommend are there tools that you've you know been able to pick up? Are there ways that you've been able to support each other that you wish you would have maybe known in the beginning that you didn't, but now you do? Um, I don't know that there's anything that we've necessarily learned in the last year that we didn't know a year ago. Um, but I would say you've got to communicate. Um, you have to communicate openly and honestly, and even when it's, yucky and messy and hard um you have to share what you're feeling because if I go back to that foster placement and I hadn't told Don what I was feeling um he never would have told me the things that he was feeling either um it took me starting a conversation of why, why is this happening? Or, or are you seeing this? Or do you notice this? Um, in order for us to start having those conversations, and then to look at different options. Um, when we first talked about her possibly not being able to stay with us, our first outreach was to her worker what does that look like how do we go forward what do we do do we try to find a family for her um again because she was just about adoptable at the point that we had her um she could go directly into an adoptive home um and so we did we we did some of that messy work ourselves, even though it wasn't our job. Um, but we had two or three different like family meetups with other foster families in the area, like get to know her, go to the park, um, let her hang out with your kids and see what you think. And then we let them talk about it and let them think about it and took their names back to our worker if they felt like maybe it was an option. Um, but also there's some really like simple things. Um, Don and I have a really unique relationship, um, that's become even more unique in this COVID-19 stay at home stuff, um, where I'm home most of the time with the kids. And if I'm not at home, then I'm working at the schools. Um, so we follow 
the same schedule or I follow the same schedule as the kids and he works 12 hour shifts an hour away. So when he's gone, he's gone for 14 and a half hours, um, a day, but way before I get up, um, until eight o'clock at night. So, um, on those days, it looks really different than on a day that he's home, but simple things like when I need to take a shower or I need a minute to like collect myself, or I want to get a workout in because for me, that's a stress reliever. Um, just saying like being honest and saying like, Hey, the baby's been screaming all day. I really need five minutes to myself or 30 minutes to go work out. Like, can you take over? I know you're tired. I know you worked a lot today, but can you take over for a few minutes so I can catch my breath? Um, but then also like, there are times when I'll be up with a baby at 11 o'clock at night and Don's already asleep. And I noticed that the dishes are piling up in the sink. Like instead of him having to get up early in the morning and do dishes before he leaves for work, like it takes me 10 minutes to load the dishwasher. Um, you know, just little things like that. But I would say for us, communication has been key. Um, I know how to show him love and he knows how to show me love. And that I would say has changed a little bit. Um, as we've gone from three kids to six kids, but um, it's a lot of just being open, um, sharing our feelings and in saying like, hey, we need to do this by this time and I need your help with that. Or um, like him today, he said, I don't want you to have to take care of the baby all day because I feel like every time I'm home, you're taking care of the baby and I don't want you to feel like you have to. I'll be honest. Taking care of the baby is the easiest thing. <laughs> <laughs> you're so funny. <laughs> I you're can like, hold the baby. This. I'll keep this. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's so. really sweet though that he's, you know, noticing. And I know that you do the same for him as well of just, you know, what is what is most helpful in that moment and to be able to vocalize that because a lot of times I think in relationships in general regardless if someone's doing foster care or not when we're not sharing with our spouse or our significant other what we're feeling then we can get really resentful and that is a terrible spot to be in it feels awful it doesn't help anything communication gets worse I mean it's just really a, a dark cold to really go down and so to hear that one of the biggest things for you guys is communication and it sounds like going the extra mile, even when you're tired, <laughs> it seems like makes quite a difference, you know, because truly, I mean, you we both know you could have left the dishes in the sink and Don would have <laughs> gladly gotten up. But the fact that like when he got up, he didn't have to do that probably felt really amazing, you know, right? and vice, vice versa when he um, helps with different things. And so um, just knowing that you guys truly are a team, I would imagine really helps through all of this really hard stuff. For sure. So can I ask, and you don't have to talk in specifics about, you know, your kids and, and their responses to things, but how has that been to to help them along this process as well? So like, you know, you're going through your own emotions and, and you know, and truly I think the, 
I would imagine a grieving process, you know, um, when your first placement, when she, you know, left. And so I'm wondering, how do you manage both, like your own emotions and helping your kids through that? Um, so for our kids, it was a lot of, for the boys, they were young. Um, our boys now are five and seven. Um, so last year they were four and six and while it sounds harsh, they're little kids. I don't think they really minded not having a two-year-old sister anymore Um, because they didn't want to share toys and they didn't want to deal with all that drama. Um, Not because she was a foster placement, but because she was a little girl. I was going to (laughs) say, because it's another kid (laughs) and kids don't like, I get it. I get it a hundred percent. Yeah. I think it was a lot harder. I not, I think I know it was a lot harder on our daughter um, who was eight at the time. And I mean, she was so excited to have a sister. Um, Finally, you know, eight years, she's waited for a little sister. Now she finally had one. Um, And it was rough. I mean, her emotional connection was strong with our first little girl and um our daughter had already been in christian counseling um so that was one of the first things that i did was just call her counselor and say we need to schedule an appointment um you know she's got to talk through this she doesn't deal with transitions well anyway um this was a big transition and so um for us it was just making sure that we took the time out of our day to have those conversations with our kids um like i said the boys i mean they still talk about her now but at the time they weren't really phased by it um but our, our daughter was. And so there were a lot of times where, you know, it was mommy, will you play horses with me? Like, no, I don't want to play horses at all. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Even with only three kids, I was busy, but it was saying, absolutely. I'll play horses with you. And then letting her talk. Um, we implemented drawing pictures. Um, she really, really, really likes to draw and so um when she started her counseling sessions um that was one of the things that I brought up to the counselor was that she liked to draw to express her emotions um at that time it was more out of what I did wrong um in a tantrum or in saying something mean she would draw a picture of that and then she would flip it over and draw something she could have done better on the back. Um, That's cool. But that, be- yeah, and it worked really well. Um, and it gave us some conversation points um, because there's a lot of anger in the front side. And then in the back side, the realization of, but really it's love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the front to the back pictures were always amazing to me. Um, the difference. And then, it was an automatic cool down time for her. Um, she could feel the feelings that she had, um, but then recognize 
the proper approach she could have taken. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and we did that with this grieving process as well. Um, She drew lots of pictures. Um, We talked a lot about, you know, just because she's leaving doesn't mean that we're going to stop looking for your baby sister. Like we'll get a baby sister. Um, she wasn't interested in a baby sister at that time. She wanted that baby sister. Um, and so that was probably one of the hardest moments. Um, right after she had left that we had that conversation and she was sobbing. Um, but then also I would say for Don and I to not just jump back into everything, um, to really take that time for our family. Um, we did like a lot of things that we just couldn't do with a two-year-old, um, playing outside on the trampoline. Um, when you have four kids, you can't really play on the trampoline with all the kids, but when you have three kids and they're all older, you can. So it was just making the conscious effort to create family time while it was just the five of us um, and help in whatever way we could. But a lot of that looked like just a time commitment. Like we're here, we're not jumping into another placement. Like we're here and being open to listen. Yeah. And to be able to acknowledge that time that you guys needed and just to be present with your kids. I mean, what a fantastic way really to, to work through that you know, f- for all of you. So props for being able to do that, truly. Can I ask, when did you, like, how did you guys know that you were ready for the next placement? Was it something that you were like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling ready? Or was it, you know, I hear from a lot of parents, it's like they will call and say, hey, we have, you know, the, these three kiddos who need to have a placement tonight. You have like an hour to decide. Was Is it something like that for you or... Yeah, so um, it was only about two weeks um, from the time our first placement ended to the time we got our second placement. And um, the night before we got our current placement, we got a call um, that was kind of similar to what you just described. Um, I don't remember how, I think maybe she was like nine months old, um, a medically needy little girl, um, who had a G tube and a lot of things that Don and I would have to go get trained on. Um, and she was, I think like an hour and a half away from us. So they wanted to know if we would be willing to go that weekend and get trained on how to take care of her for her to come home hopefully soon um and basically she had no family um whatsoever she knew no one outside of the hospital um and so i really struggled with that one um looking back on it i think i was probably slightly insane um but if the timing had been right, we would have taken that placement. But 
it was the end of August. We were two days away from school starting. And so it just became a situation where I was like, it's just not right right now. Um, and the next day we got a call for two kids, um, a little girl who was two and her little brother who was eight months old that needed a place for maybe a day or two and maybe up to six months. And I was like, six months from now, it'll be like January, February. By the time summer comes around, we'll be back to our five. This is fine. We can do this. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I have to laugh. (laughs) Isn't life funny how it works out? (laughs) So, right. um, When we got the call for the first little girl, um, the medically necessary one, I had talked to Don that night because he was home that day. And I said, what does it look like? What can I say yes to? Um, Our goal had always been to just have one more. Um, So a total of four. And we were open to the idea of a four plus. Mm -hmm. Um, If there was a little girl and she had siblings, that it was in their best interest to be moved together. Um, We were open to that. But it wasn't, it was kind of like a lofty goal. Like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Sure. We all take siblings. Um, and when they dropped off these two, um, first of all, they're the cutest kids ever. Aww. And Aww. I have three really cute kids, but these kids are so cute. Um, and they said, oh, by the way, mom's pregnant and I was like cool is she gonna have it before six months uh-huh. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't I don't care like they're gonna be back in three to six months yep like it's fine and the worker that day was very much like, I think this is a really cut and dry, like dad just has to call me back and they could go back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And then they're here. Yeah. Um, and things look very different now than they did then. Yeah. And um, mom had her baby. Uh, six months after they got dropped off and that baby is almost three months old. So um, now we have a almost three month old, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a five, seven, and nine-year-old. So <laughs> that's a lot. That is a lot. My goodness. That's so, that's so awesome though, yeah. truly. Ah. It's really great. Um, if they would have called with three kids, three months, one and two, we wouldn't likely have said yes. Um, 
but it's also going back to like the very beginning of our conversation that attachment like you get attached to these kids and so you know now we've got a one and two year old and their baby sister's born and she needs to go somewhere like I don't want her going somewhere else I want her with her siblings um so it became a natural response to want to bring that baby in as well um if there's more I can't speak to that (laughs) yeah 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 you know I think that's great though that truly um some you know because I hear what you're saying like if if they would have called and they were like here is you know three kiddos here are their ages they're that young I mean that um would have been like I often think to myself that just having like two under two is like mind-blowing to me and I tell all of my friends that I'm like I am so impressed with you like you go girl like this is amazing but to have thought about it like that of really just thinking like oh we're just going to be bringing one more child into our home and then hearing that difference of three so it's almost like kind of perfect that it worked out like here's two so you guys could really get adjusted to that as a family and then oh yeah by the way here's this other baby but how how great that you truly kept them together truly yeah and they're great I mean their bond is so strong um the two-year-old I don't normally think of two-year-olds as like mother hens but she's a mother hen um to this baby and the one-year-old is so caring um which again like I just feel like it's not a normal reaction like I remember having a two-year-old and a newborn and our two-year-old could have cared less yeah um but they're just so close um it's it's really amazing yeah do you think that that some of that might be some of the the trauma that the two oldest maybe experience because sometimes that trauma does bond kids a lot I wonder I mean not that they they probably would have been loving anyway but do you know what I mean I wonder if that part of things yeah. has made them even more caring more like you know wanting to be there for each other and keep each other safe you know I wonder if that has added to some of that oh I'm absolutely I'm sure um and I I haven't read their reports yet um but from what I've heard, they spent a lot of time together um, in in the same area. And so um, I think there was a lot of that. And I saw that, um, especially with the two-year-old from, from day one. Um, she would help me make her lunch, but she would make his lunch first. Um, Plus her sweet so, little soul. Yeah. She's so, so cute. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure that the trauma definitely plays into that. Um, it's interesting to me to see how trauma has affected the one-year-old yeah. um, because of how young he was when he was removed. Um, but it's there. Yeah. Um, and it shows up in unique ways. Um so it's just fascinating to me at eight months old that that's ingrained in him already. Yeah. Um, and the response 
he has to that. So, yeah, you know, trauma is so fascinating. It's so fascinating. I was having a conversation with a colleague. This was probably a couple months back and we were just talking about how um, the human brain is just it's impressive in so many. I mean, our bodies in general are just so impressive in how they operate. Um, but it is just really amazing that although kids a lot of times won't remember, obviously, at that age, they remember. They just don't consciously remember. Like the bot, I guess I should say the body remembers, you know, even yeah. if they're not able to. And so that's just so it's so interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but the other part of things, too, is that I think so great is that healing that can come from being in an environment that is so loving and that can help them feel so protected and safe. And how cool that you guys get really the honor of doing that that's so cool even in the hardest days I mean I'm obviously not there with you when you're taking care of six kids (laughs) easy for me to say that I'm sure but um, that's just so cool that you get to have that impact on on lives you know yeah it's really awesome yeah is there anything that like if somebody is thinking if they're on the fence let's say someone's on the fence right now that's listening because very likely there are people that are listening to this that are like have thought about foster care adoption or whatever that may look like so if someone is on the fence and they're not really sure if that's something that they 100% want to dive into or not do you have any thoughts on how someone might figure that out for themselves and for their family like if it's a good fit and obviously each each situation is individualized but do you have any thoughts on like how someone might know if that's something that would be good for them? Um, So I have a couple of thoughts. Um, If they want basically no commitment um, to it, but they want to try it out, um, reach out to a foster family in your area to babysit. Oh, that's a good idea. Just a couple hours, maybe 30 minutes if you really can't handle it. (laughs) Um, You'll know pretty quickly if it's for you or not. Um, If you aren't against the commitment aspect, then I would say to go through and get the training that's necessary to become a foster parent. Um, And through that process of the trainings, I think it's really eye-opening and you can always back out if you decide it's not for you. Um, But if you make it to the end and you're still unsure, then I would say respite care um, where you can help a foster family out for a single day or a weekend um, so that they can have a little bit of time to themselves. I'll be honest, most of the time it's Don and I need a little bit of time to ourselves and we send all of our kids away. Um, yes. But <laughs> I love that. <laughs> You're like, we're not grandma choosing about grandpa. who it is. <laughs> grandma and grandpa, here you go. Yep. I get that. Yes. I get that. Um, and so then the other kids will go to respite care. Um, and so I would say that that is a great option as well. But I think just talking to a foster parent um, is a great way to see really our everyday struggles aren't that different than most people's. Um, There's a lot of invasion of privacy um, that I guess most parents don't have. Um, Lots of visits. Oh my goodness. The visits are insane. Um, 
and right now, like everything's online. So parental visits are happening at our house through Zoom. Um, and so that's a difficult thing to tread through. Um, yeah. Cause it's, how do you keep our family protected and at the same time right. foster that relationship with, with their first parents? Um, so that's tricky, but, um, you know, DHS comes and the adoption agency comes and the guardian ad liam comes, which is just their, their attorney who makes sure the kids is attorney that makes sure that they're in a place that they should be. Um, and so there's lots of people in and out, um, which is also traumatic. Like, yeah, you know, the kids have to deal with that too. The, like, why are they here? Um, but I would say any and all of those things, um, reading blogs by foster families, I think is fabulous. Um, I have one that I follow on Facebook. She makes me look like this little tiny pebble because I put her so high up on a pedestal. Um, she's very wise and she's had lots of placements and I adore her perspective, even though I struggle to see the same perspective sometimes. Um, and I think that comes a little bit from our yearning to adopt um, and her ability to see a greater picture. Um, she's had a lot of foster placements that have gone home with their mom and dad. She has a couple that they've adopted. Um, we don't have that yet. Um, we have one foster placement that we had to let go of and let her go to another foster placement. Um, and then these guys right now are, are here for now. Um, and I don't know what's going to end up happening with them but for as long as they're here we're gonna love them like they're ours and so um that's kind of where I would I would start either a blog or reaching out to a foster family if you know of one um yeah something like that yeah that's fantastic advice you know I'm wondering do you have to get like for instance your parents do they have to go through a process of getting approved to be able to watch the kiddos or in Iowa is it different than that so the kids as far as like typically I have to talk outside of COVID-19 right um typically speaking you can have anyone watch your kids at any time um when they stay the night then whoever they're staying with has to be a licensed foster parent. And so that's where respite oh. care comes in. Mm -hmm. um, if Don and I are going out of town for business or out of town for a mini vacation um, and we're not taking our kids, then our biological kids go to their grandparents and our foster placements go to respite care. Oh, thank you for clarifying that. That's really helpful to know that. That that makes a lot of sense. You know, I know that um, on the flip side of things that I have worked with 
you know, several parents who have utilized the respite care portion of things. And what I think is really important for people to know is that at times that has been such, it appears to be so important and so healing for that family and gives them the ability to keep going in the process. So if somebody needs just a couple of days to like be able to recharge, like my goodness, what an honor to be able to help with that and to be able to offer that respite care, knowing that that truly can impact the ability for, you know, for placements to continue just to be able to, I mean, sometimes I know of people who have utilized it for when they have gone on vacation, because my understanding, this could be different in every state, I'm assuming, but it can be really hard to get approval for foster kiddos to go out of the state at all. And so there's been a lot of times when I know people have utilized it for that, or like you say, you know, if there's something that's going on business-wise or whatever that may look like, you know, health-wise, whatever. And so to know that that's an option is, is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And we, like I said, Don and I are typically, if we're going without our kids, um, then the same rule applies for our foster placements. If we're taking our kids, our opinion is that our foster kids get to come with us too. Um, and so it does take planning on our part. Um, before COVID-19, it was pretty easy to get judge approval to take the kids out of state. Um, so we've been to Wisconsin and Minnesota. Um, we had approval to go to Florida over Christmas. That didn't happen, but we had approval to do it. Um, and so... I know a lot of families that don't, Mm -hmm. um, if they're going on a family vacation, then they have their kids go to respite care. Um, I don't judge that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what's right for one family may not be right for another and, and that's totally fine. Um, but for Don and I, our goal is to give them normalcy. Yeah. Um, and so we don't want them to feel isolated yep. um, or less than. Um, and so we won't go on a vacation as a family if they can't come. Um, also, a lot of these kids are coming from low-income families. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them, but a lot of them do. And so I think about like, if we're taking a vacation to Florida, we're taking these kids with us because they may not ever get to go to Florida again. Like we want them to see the beach. We want them to go when we go to Wisconsin, like to go fishing and to go to campfires and have fun outside and do things that they may not get to experience outside of our house. Yeah. Oh, fantastic perspective. That makes so much sense. And, um, definitely, I mean, I think back to like family vacations. I mean, we didn't go, you know, on family vacations all the time by any means, but, um, we certainly did go, go on them. And, and those are some of my favorite memories from childhood. So that makes a lot of sense that you would want to bring them. Um, and, and truly, I think, you know, like you said, like each situation is different. And sometimes what I think it boils down to too, is that sometimes families have like big vacations planned and then they get a placement and it's like, Oh, can we get our money back? Can we go? Can we add someone like, you know, to try to figure out different things like that too. But you know, as, as much as someone is able to, to a hundred percent, just, you know, part of the family, I, I'm sure that makes a big difference in even how you interact with the kids just to really love them in that same way and to want them I mean, that's what I really hear is like you, you not only do you 
want them like as your children, but you want them to be able to have the best experiences in life that you can give them. And how cool, how cool to really be able to too bad about Florida too. And now the COVID it's so funny. I kept thinking like, it's like before COVID and after COVID, isn't it? (laughs) There's got to be this part in the timeline for like the United, well, the whole world really of like everything before and everything after. Yeah. It's certainly making things a little bit messy, isn't it? So yeah. We're trucking through there, though, that's for sure. So, well, Jess, I could talk to you. You know this. I could talk to you for, like, all day. All day. We could talk forever. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, but I am wondering, as we're wrapping this up, if I can ask you a question that I ask everyone that's on the podcast. For sure. All right. Who would you say are some of your biggest encouragers? And it can be surrounding the foster care portion. It can just be throughout life. It can be a little bit of both. So who, you know, pops into your mind? Oh, my goodness. Um. Okay. I'm going to use like a really broad spectrum, but this is like, I really feel like it's my rock. Um, We have what we call our village. Um, To quote Hillary Clinton back in the day, (laughs) um, when she said, it really takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't really grasp that until we started fostering. Um, It seriously takes a village. Um, And I think about all the different support we have um, as a family and we've let our pride go as far as asking for help. And um, that's monumental, but, um, our village is, I can't say it's one person or it's another person. It's, it's widespread. It's vast. Um, it stretches almost half of the United States. Um, and so as far as I'm concerned, it's our, my encouragers are my village. Um, they're the people that speak life into me. Um, when I'm struggling. Um, they're the random text messages that I get just to say, Hey, how are you doing today? Um, it's a Snapchat of some kid dancing, you know? <laughs> yes. Just, just those random things that like put me back into the mindset of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and so my biggest encouragers are my village. Oh, I love that. And I 100% agree. When I first had Eli, I, I have to be honest, I thought that that quote was like crap. I was like, there is no way that you need a village to raise these kids. And now I want to be honest, being in North Dakota, we obviously had friends, but we're away from family. So that obviously puts a different perspective. But what I have noticed as he gets older, and as we look at adding another one is that even if you don't need quote need somebody it is important to have them in your life and for your child, your children to be surrounded by as much love and support. And so sometimes that may look like, I hear you as far as like when we need help, just asking like that is hard. It is hard to do that. And to really just push that pride aside and be like, you know what? Everyone needs help at some time. <laughs> We're all human, but it really does take every single last person. And it can be the smallest thing to the biggest thing to make that difference, to keep us going. So that's really cool that you have so many people truly that are helping you yeah that's awesome do you feel comfortable sharing your Facebook group with everyone 
Sure. Um, so you can search Fostering Hope on Facebook and um, you will have to ask to be added. I will add you. Um, you don't have to write anything saying that you heard from the podcast or anything like that. Um, but that's where I share our journey, um, kind of the good and the bad and um, the easy and the hard days. Um, I'm really an open book. If you have questions that you want to ask, um, join that group. And then there's a place on there for you to ask questions that I promise to answer every question. Um, honestly, that's kind of my goal through all of this is to shine a light on something that is kind of taboo. Um, people don't talk about it or you see the dozens of foster kids or, you know, people pulling up in buses. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> I mean, like what? Some of us do that. Some of us, <laughs> some of us do that. But what, what a great way to get around. We won't judge you for that at all. So you can always rent it out on the weekends, right? For parties or something, you yeah. know? <laughs> So. I mean, and with this COVID-19, like, we almost have our social distancing you, in our van. You do. <laughs> <laughs> you have it down, huh? That's amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jess, truly, for being on the show today and for hanging out with me and just really sharing your story. I know that's going to impact a lot of people. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kelly, for inviting me. It was a blast talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Kelly and the Encouragers podcast. For all things related to this episode, please go to www.kellysisson.com backslash podcast, where you can find transcript from today's show and links for today's guest. See you next week for another episode.